name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, lead us not into temptation, which at least in English can sound a bit confusing, as if it might be the case that God does lead us into temptation, and we have to pray that he would stop doing this. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. As James chapter 1, verse 13, and the small catechism teach, God tempts no one. It's not God who leads us into temptation. Rather, it's the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. In fact, it is our default position to run toward temptation, to flirt with temptation, and finally to give in to temptation. So when we pray that God would lead us not into temptation, we are asking that he would override our default setting, that he would do for us what we otherwise cannot and will not do for ourselves. We are asking him to stop us from heading straight into temptation. And indeed, if we are there, we are asking him to lead us out of it, to turn us around in repentance. The devil, of course, is happy to have us sin because each sin we commit is contrary to who God is and against his nature. The more of our decision-making process is involved in the sin, the more our will is involved, the better, at least as far as the devil is concerned, because it more closely resembles the original sin that I would will and choose to be my own God. But the devil does not tempt Christians merely to have them sin. After all, he knows far better than we that the all-sufficient, all-atoning death of Jesus on the cross has removed the guilt of all sins, of every last sin, past, present, and future. So the devil's goal is not merely to tempt you to sin for sin's sake. All sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake, for the sake of his blood and righteousness. No, the devil's goal is to use your sin to lead you and others into far greater temptations. The temptations to deny and reject God the Father to deny and reject Jesus as Savior, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. The devil wants to use your sins to destroy your faith and the faith of those around you. And he can do this in a myriad of ways. But there are two general patterns that emerge. The temptation to self-righteousness, that's one and the temptation to despair. That's the other. Both of these destroy faith. The temptation to self-righteousness can include the self-righteous justification of one's own sin. Until it is denied to even be a sin, good is called evil and evil is called good. The result is a soul that though it is increasingly sick with sin, says both me and my sins are perfectly healthy. 
I need no physician. I need no forgiveness. This is the kind of self-righteousness that destroys faith. And it's what's happening in an almost unfathomable way in the culture around us. But the temptation to self-righteousness can also take on a more ecclesiastical form. Instead of justifying the sin, the sin is admitted. But the man nonetheless seeks to justify himself. I will make up for this, he says to himself. I will atone for this. I will cover my own sins with satisfactions and erase my bad deeds with my good deeds. The result is a soul that wants to be its own savior. A soul that looks to itself and its own good works instead of looking to Christ Jesus and trusting in his all-sufficient, all-atoning death on the cross. In short, it too destroys faith. Now, the other common pattern that emerges is the temptation to despair. Once one has sinned, the devil uses this sin against the individual or against others in such a way that they despair of God's grace. The devil tells them that their faith is hypocrisy, that they have a sham faith, that their actions speak louder than their words, that their sins and repeated sins show that they are no true Christian. The result is a soul that no longer looks outside of itself to the all-sufficient, all-atoning cross of Jesus, but rather looks inside itself in a futile quest to find so-called genuine faith and this faith's genuine fruit. When the devil has turned a man's eyes inward on himself, the devil then ruthlessly and often using God's own law points out the man's worthlessness and hypocrisy until finally he succumbs to the greater temptation and admits that he has no faith, that by his sins and repeated sins he has put himself outside of God's grace, and thus his faith is destroyed. Now these are among the most common ways in which the devil works. Perhaps you recognize them for yourself. He tempts us to sin, not merely for sin's sake. When we sin, that's just the beginning of his temptation. He then uses our sins to try to destroy our faith and the faith of others. To take our eyes and the eyes of others off of Jesus. So that in one way or another, we look to ourselves in self-righteousness or we look to ourselves in despair. Luther once wrote a letter of spiritual counsel to a man named George Spenline, who was suffering from some of these greater temptations. Luther said to him this, Therefore, my dear brother, learn Christ and him crucified. Learn to pray to him, and despairing of yourself, say, Thou, Lord Jesus, art my righteousness, but I am thy sin." Thou hast taken upon thyself what is mine, and hast given to me what is thine. Thou hast taken upon thyself what thou wast not, 
and hast given to me what I was not. Luther continues, Beware of aspiring to such purity that you will not wish to be looked upon as a sinner or to be one. For Christ dwells only in sinners. You will find peace only in Him. And only when you despair of yourself and your own works. Besides, you will learn from Him that just as He has received you, so He has made your sins His own, and He has made His righteousness yours. Thus far, Luther. Dear Christians, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that way of escape, in one way or another, is Jesus. Jesus' blood and righteousness that blots out all your sins. Jesus' blood shed for you once and for all, objectively, irrevocably. Nothing can ever change it. Jesus' blood poured into the chalice for you, as his own words say, for you and for your sins. He knows them all and he forgives them all. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. And the way of escape is Jesus. Jesus' own righteousness and perfect life. His perfect fulfillment of God's law. His pleasing of the Father. All credited to, credited to you freely by the God whose grace is greater than we could have ever imagined. By the God and Father who through the blood of his own dear Son justifies the ungodly. No temptation has overtaken or overcome you that is not common to man. And the way of escape is Jesus. Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit upon you. Jesus renewing you and strengthening you. Jesus delivering you and preserving you. Jesus taking your inward turned eyes and healing them to look outside of yourself to him only. Jesus in word. Jesus in sacrament. Jesus who washes all your sins away in a continuous baptismal flood. Jesus who hears your confession and absolves you through the preacher's lips. Jesus who invites you to his table and supper to give himself to you that you may be one with him now and forever. And now that the introduction to my sermon is finally over, <laughs> we can look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. We pray that God will lead us out of temptation. And he does this most fundamentally by sending his son to face temptation, to face the great tempter, the devil, in our stead and in our place. After 40 days of prayer and fasting while being tempted by the devil, Jesus did what not one of us could do. He stood face to face and toe to toe with that ancient serpent 
who had deceived Adam and Eve all those years ago and led our race into darkness. He stood face to face and toe to toe with that roaring lion who has devoured countless souls. He stood face to face and toe to toe like a little David against the Goliath of hell. And our Lord Jesus conquered. When challenged to turn stone into bread, to become a self-serving miracle man instead of the true Messiah, when tempted to doubt that he was indeed the Son of God and to distrust his Father's care and provision, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When told that if he just bowed down and worshipped Satan just this once, then all the kingdoms of the earth would be his and all their glory. No cross, no agonizing death to make atonement for sins, no being forsaken by God. Jesus responded, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When tempted to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, to let the holy angels catch him as God, after all, had promised, he responded, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus had come to give his life as a ransom for many, and that would not be accomplished in any way other than his cross. In temptation, our Lord Jesus himself turned to the Father's word, and so he teaches us to do the same, to turn to the Father's word and therein see Jesus, Christ and him crucified for us. Jesus alone has conquered the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Jesus alone has defeated the tempter once and for all. Jesus alone is our righteousness, and he has given his righteousness to us freely as a gift. As was promised by God in the very first preaching of the gospel recorded in the scriptures, Jesus did indeed come to crush the serpent's head. He crushed all the serpent's work and under his heel he crushed the serpent's head and as the scriptures also say and promise, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet as well. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise.